Hebrews chapter 11. We took a, um, a week off last week to talk a little bit about Thanksgiving, but now we return to our regularly scheduled programming. Hebrews chapter 11. Have you noticed a lot of the songs today talking about faith, singing about faith? Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. And uh, as Steve read uh, there at the end of chapter 11, we're talking about all of these ancients who were commended for their faith. Two weeks ago, we talked about what is faith. We looked at the very first verse and got through one, one verse. We'll make a little headway today. You say, Rodney, how long is it going to take us to get through chapter 11? I don't know. I honestly don't know. There's so much, so much good in here. We still have a lot of our folks that are gone. Uh, I think maybe traveling because of this holiday uh, weekend, but we also are blessed to have some folks that have come our way, and so we want to welcome all of our guests this morning. Thank you for being here. If the author of Hebrews had gone from the end of chapter 10, verse 39, to the second half of the first verse of chapter 12, it would have just been a natural flow. Let me read that to you. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. Therefore, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. But instead, he takes his readers on a walk, on a walk back in time, to look at some of the ancient folks whose lives were commended because of their faith. And he wants his readers, these original recipients of the letter, he wants them to derive uh, encouragement and strength by reflecting on these lives that he's going to talk about and how God honored their faith. And also, so we today as later readers, would become men and women of faith. Verse 2 says, this is what the ancients were commended for. They were commended for their faith. Of all the things that could have been written about them, the one unifying and common thread that runs throughout all of their lives was their faith and their trust in the living God. They had nothing to go on but the promises of God, what God had spoken to them. They took God at his word, and then they lived their lives accordingly. They viewed the future as if it were the present, and they viewed the invisible as if it were visible. That's what verse 1 says. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. These ancient folks that we're going to read about made an impact on their generation. And the same is true of us today. If we, as men and women of faith, if we, as a body, of believers, 
a community of faith, if we take God at his word and do what he says, then we too will make an impact in our generation. So we want to pay careful attention to how they lived so that we can imitate their faith in our lives as well. All of these people in chapter 11 leads up to the one in chapter 12 who is described as the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. You remember all the way back in chapter 1, in the past it says God has spoken to us in many and various ways, but in these last days he has spoken to us through his son, spoken to us by his son. Verse 3 is so very important for us. Chapter 11, verse 3, the word of the Lord. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what is visible. In our world where everyone thinks they have their own truth, where one theory is just as good as another theory um, about creation, we understand by faith that the universe was formed at God's command. I believe that with all of my heart. If not, nothing else makes sense to me. In a world where People say, well, this is my truth, and oh, that's good for you, but this is my truth. Okay, well, that's fine for you. And neither of those two things really agree with one another. Both of them can't be true. Both of them could be wrong, but both of them can't be true if they do not agree with one another. So by faith, we understand that God spoke this world in, into existence, Nothing else makes sense to me if I don't believe that. And I believe that with all of my heart. So let's take a look at a few of these ancient people this morning. The first one is Abel. We've got to go back to Genesis chapter 4. Turn your Bibles there. All the way back to the book of Genesis chapter 4. Genesis gives us the context here. Beginning in verse 1, Genesis 4, Adam lay with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the first fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. 
It desires to have you, but you must master it. So we're told three things here in Genesis chapter 4. First of all, by faith, Abel offered a better sacrifice than his brother. Abel, by faith, offered a better sacrifice than his brother. Secondly, by faith, he was commended as a righteous man. And that's related to this better sacrifice that he offered. We'll talk about that in a second. And then thirdly, the Bible says he still speaks by faith, though he is dead. Even thousands of years later, Abel is still speaking to us. That's what Hebrews chapter 11 says. Still speaking to us all these years later. Some will wander off into the weeds about why Abel's sacrifice was better than his brother Cain's. Some will say, you know, you have an animal sacrifice versus a vegetable or grain or fruit offering. And so that's why God accepted Abel's offering better than Cain. Because the, the sacrifice conjures up the idea of something dying and, and blood. And I know that that obviously looks forward to Jesus. But I, I'm convinced that they didn't have any idea of that here in this time, in this day. So I don't think for a moment that the offering that Abel offered was better because it was an animal. But the reason it was better is because it was the expression of a devoted and a, an obedient heart. Abel offered his sacrifice by faith. And apparently Cain did not. The distinction is not between the sacrifice. The distinction is between the sacrificer. Okay? The one who makes the sacrifice. I believe that both of the sacrifices could have been identical because that's not what the difference was. The difference is not in the sacrifice, but in the one who made the sacrifice. One was offered in faith. Sacrifices could have been identical, but God said to Cain, if you do what is right, won't you be accepted? Yes, you'll, you'll be accepted. But if you don't do what is right, he says, sin is crouching at your door. Sin wants to master you, but you have to master it. So somewhere, and, and we're not told this in the, in the Genesis account, but we have to conclude a couple of, one of a couple of things. Either God had told them, you must make sacrifices, you must bring an, an offering or a sacrifice, because otherwise, why would they have brought it? So we're not privy to everything that, that happened, but either God told them that they needed to bring an offering or bringing a gift, bringing an offering to God is just a natural thing to do. I kind of lean towards the latter, that if you're walking with God and you're interacting with God, and you're seeing how good God is and how many blessings he's poured into your lap, isn't it the natural thing to want to, to give something back to God, to say thank you? 
to say how good you are? And if you notice what the text says, it says that Cain brought the first fruits. Isn't that what you're supposed to bring? You're supposed to bring the first fruits, right? So Cain brought exactly what he should have brought. He brought the first fruits of the crops that, that God had blessed him with. It says Abel brought some of the fat portions. He goes out and he looks at all of his flock and he says, what is the best that I have that I can offer to God? Oh, here it is. And he brings the best and he offers it to God. But apparently, one brings the offering in faith and possibly the other one brings it begrudgingly. Not because they wanted to. Man, I could have I kept these first fruits for my family. I mean, I got mouths to feed. I got people to look after. But yet I've got to bring this to God. Let me ask you this. Is it possible to do the right thing for the wrong reason? You think that's possible? To do the right thing for the wrong reason? Maybe sometimes we, we look around and you say, well, you know, I could, I could do something here. I could, I could give. I could con contribute. I could, could, could make, uh, make an offering here, and I could, I could be seen by people. And they're going to say, oh, look at him. Look at how awesome. Look at what a good man he is. Look at how much money he gave. Look at how he's serving. What a good guy he is. And we walk away and we go, oh, what a good boy am I. Pat ourselves on the back, maybe toot our own horn a little bit. I think it's possible that we can do good things, right things, and do it for the wrong reason. I mean, look out in the world. A lot of people in the world who claim no faith in Jesus, who are not followers of God, they do a lot of good things. Sometimes they do better things than we as Christians do. Does that honor God? No. Because an offering a gift has got to be offered in faith. Otherwise, it doesn't bring God any glory. It might bring you some glory. It might help some people along the way. But the offering has got to be done in faith. It must be done for the right reason. All right, let's keep moving. Let's take a look at Enoch. Verse... Five, by faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Genesis chapter 5. Let's go all the way back to Genesis. Look at Enoch here for a second. Genesis chapter 5. Let's go down to verse 21. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. And after he became the father of Methuselah, 
Enoch walked with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived 365 years. Enoch walked with God, then he was no more, because God took him away. What does that say about Enoch? He walked with God. He walked with God over a long period of time. His faith didn't seem to run hot and cold, you know. Uh, it, it seemed that, you know, sometimes people get fired up and then they burn out and then you don't know where they went. That doesn't seem to have happened with Enoch. It says he walked with God for 300 years. For Enoch, faith was a decisive act, and it was a, um, a sustained attitude, not just a flash in the pan, just searing hot and then burns out. And it's clear from Genesis that there was a time in Enoch's life when faith began. There was a time in Enoch's life when you can look to that faith began. It says when Enoch was 65 years old, he became the father of Methuselah. We remember Methuselah because he's the oldest guy that we have in the Bible, right? He lived to be 969 years old. Almost 1,000 years old was Methuselah. But when Enoch was 65 years old, his wife gave birth, and he became the father of Methuselah. So it seems like after Methuselah showed up, Enoch started walking with God. That's the way I read it. We're not told, but I think that there is some, some significance here. Uh, I've seen it many times through the years. A young couple uh, gets married. Maybe one or both of them, you know, were raised up in church, but now they're on their own. They get married, and they have really no time for God. Everything is, is good. They're putting their house together. Maybe they've rented an apartment. Maybe they've even bought a house of their own, and they're doing the best to set up, set up house and to buy sofas and, and pictures to hang on the wall and to decorate the kitchen and, 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 and get everything just right. And, and the weekend is really a time to go out and to have fun and, and be with your friends. Really no time for God at all. But then finally, one day, word comes that she's pregnant. And so now they start thinking about raising a little child. And so the child is born they take that little baby home from the hospital and they say, what are we going to do with this thing? What in the world have we gotten ourselves into? And so they began to think, well, maybe we ought to, maybe we ought to go to church. Maybe we ought to find a church. I mean, not, not for me. I, I don't know if I believe in all of that stuff, but, but what, about, what about the baby? We, we want the baby to be raised up maybe knowing some things, because after all, how are we going to answer the questions, the big questions of life? Well, where did the sun come from, Daddy? Or who made the moon and the stars? Or why is red red? Or where do babies come from? <laughs> and so 
we maybe aren't that interested in this whole God thing, but yet we want, we want the little one to, to know something about, about God, just in case, just in case. And so they take the baby, and, and it starts off in crater roll, and then it, it starts going to, to VBS in the summer times, and it grows up, and their teachers you know, send home these little papers, and they start talking about this God stuff. And they begin to meet other couples that are raising children that are in the church, and they, and they actually start going to Bible class and begin to listen. And, and then one day, there seems like there's something that's germinating inside of their hearts, and then all of a sudden, it comes alive. This whole God thing comes alive. And you can almost put your finger down on the moment when faith began in your life. It's because a child was born. A child came into your life, and all of a sudden you said, uh, we, we don't know what we're going to do with this. We, we got to get a handle. We got a grip. That might be some of your story here this morning. Some of you may have experienced that very thing. When little bit came along, all of a sudden it, it dawned on you, we got to get a handle on things. Our life, our life might be okay, but, but we, we got to have some answers here. I honestly believe that that's when faith began. The responsibilities, the challenges, the privilege, the opportunities were so demanding. You knew you had to have some help. I kind of think that's what happened to Enoch. You know, children are a gift from God, but they quickly reveal our inadequacies. They quickly reveal our, our, our lack of wisdom. They quickly reveal our need for grace. Enoch was 65 years old, and then he started walking with God. Part one not walking with God. Part two, walking with God. Kind of an act one and an act two. No faith, faith. Some of you have that same story. Enoch, for 65, it didn't say anything about his first 65 years. But when Methuselah was born, Enoch started walking with God. Faith is a decisive act. You don't just fall into faith. You don't just stumble over it and have faith. Faith is a decisive act. And as a result, Enoch walked with God all the rest of his days. For 300 years, he walked with God. And as a result of that, he was taken away. He did not, as the Bible says, he did not taste death. Enoch walked with God, and because he walked with God, God took him away. And if your mind is like my mind, you say, well, where did God take him? Where did he go? Is that the way your mind works? I mean, Enoch was walking with God, and then he was no more. Nobody could find him. He didn't show up at the, at the coffee shop where he always hangs out on Monday mornings. And everybody said, where's Enoch? I don't know. I haven't seen him. Have you seen him? He didn't buy his newspaper at the stand where he always buy. You know, where, what happened to Enoch? It says he walked with God and then, poof, God took him. He was no more. He did not taste death. And now that looks forward to the glorification of our bodies. 
when Jesus Christ returns. Um, that's what 1 Thessalonians says. Turn over there, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Oh, I love this. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. <clears throat> For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. There's going to come a time when Jesus returns, when the dead in Christ are going to come out of the graves. Those that are still alive, it's going to be just like Enoch. They're going to just, <laughs> poof, going to be taken away to be with the Lord forever. Where did Enoch go? Well, he went to God. And any more than that, I don't know. I, I can't give you any more information because I didn't see it. I don't know. I've never experienced it myself. I'm looking forward to it, but I haven't seen it yet. Enoch went to God. He walked with God as he lived his life. And his going to heaven, listen, his going to heaven was not a change of the company that he kept. It was just merely a change in location. Going to heaven for Enoch was not a change of the company that he kept. It was merely a change in location. If we're going to spend all of eternity in worship to God, then what we're doing right now is, is, just, is just kind of preparation. It's just getting ready. It's getting ready for God to be in his presence. If we're going to spend all of eternity in fellowship, then we got to start loving on each other. we got to start being happy to be with each other. You know, sometimes we look around the body of Christ and he's like, I don't, I don't like that guy so much, or she kind of gets on my nerves. Listen, you're going to spend all eternity with these people, Lord willing. And so if we're going to do that all of eternity, we gotta, we got to start loving each other now because that's where we're going to be for for the rest of our lives, for all of eternity. Enoch walked with God before he left. Listen, Enoch walked with God before he left. He didn't leave and go to heaven so he could start walking with God. He walked with God before he left. If we don't walk with God on earth, we don't live with God in heaven. It doesn't start when you get there. It starts here. It starts now. It's as simple as that. For Abel, faith was offering his best to God. For Enoch, faith meant walking with God. Every facet of his life, walking with God. When you read in the Old Testament, it doesn't say that Enoch had faith. It doesn't say that. But in verse 5, we read just a moment ago, by, by faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not 
experienced death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. How can the Hebrew writers speak of Enoch's faith with such confidence? Well, because verse 6 says, without faith it's impossible to please God. We, we use that verse sometimes to talk about evangelism. You've got to have faith if, you, if you're going to come to God, and that's true. But in its context, it just says that Enoch was one who pleased God, and without faith, it's impossible to please God. Therefore, we know Enoch was a man full of faith because he pleased God. And God took him. This faith in God was, was more than just mental assent. This faith in God, as we talked about it several weeks ago, was more than just believing in some higher power. Even the demons believe that. Even the demons believe that there is one God. That's what James says. But they're not saved. This kind of faith that gives my best to God, the kind of faith that walks with God, can only come about by an encounter with God. And he walks with me and he talks with me. And he tells me that I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. I think Enoch could have written that song. Enoch may have been the inspiration for that song, walking and talking with God. Some of you here this morning know a lot about God, but you've never met him face to face. You say, Rodney, we can't. I've never seen God. You've never seen God. That's right. But by faith, you must have an encounter with the living God before you can really put your faith in him. Today could be the day you started your journey of faith. Could be the day that you, just like Enoch, start walking with God. Don't you want to live by faith? Don't you want your journey to be marked by faith, to live by faith every day? I do.